So we've been talking about the challenges that we face in the American church. We, we're, we've we've kind of gotten lax. And what's happened over a period of time is we've allowed, we've allowed the ideology and concepts that rule the culture around us to come in and, and, uh, and hinder us in the church instead of us being an influence for God and for good. A lot of times we, it, it's turned around and we've been influenced by our culture instead of influencing culture. So we've talked about that for the last, last while. Last week we kind of turned a corner because there is an answer. I've been praying and let me say again that we've had special prayer meetings from noon to one, Monday through Thursday. Staff team's off on Friday. We give them off. But come and pray. We're praying for our nation. Our nation needs prayer. How many hear me? If you love America and love living here, people are beating down the doors, begging, trying to, you know, trying to, you know, get here any way they can. There's something here. And we need to protect that. So uh, we, like others, are asking God for another awakening in America, a spiritual renewal, as it were, a spiritual revival, as it were. We've had two in our history, one before we became a nation in the 1700s. Uh, we had another one in the 1800s around the Civil War era. And we all, we need another one now. And we, how many hear me? We need a, a, a renewal. We need an awakening of God in our nation. How many hear what I'm saying? And so, you know, if we ask, how many believe that we can receive? Well, well, I said that because the answer to personal issues and even the issues that our nation faces, there, there, is, there is a door that opens up a freshness of God, both in personal life and in our nation. And I began talking about that last week. It's the door called repentance. Everybody say Repentance. We don't use that in our vernacular, in everyday conversation. Well, I repent. We normally don't say those kinds of things. The word repent simply means a change of heart that is so deep that it changes how you live your life. A lot of people illustrate it as a, as a 180 degree turn. You go in one direction, then you just turn around and you're going a different way. And that's what repentance does. How many know that's an awesome thing? I mean, I was thinking about it in my own life. For me, for me, repentance came three weeks before my 18th birthday. I was just like every other 17, almost 18-year-old in my culture in the mid-1970s. And I had a, and I had a Jesus exposed. He exposed who he is to me. And when I saw who he is, I had to change. I couldn't remain as I was, and I turned. And I've never, ever been the same. So when you first come to the Lord, if you don't know the Lord and you're bound by, by whatever kind of habits that our culture is bound with, man, if you're doing crack or, or uh, you know, any forms of uh, illicit drugs and you're hooked and you don't know how to get free, repentance can open the door to life change. Isn't that awesome? If you're bound by, uh, if you're bound by, uh, by uh, legal drugs and, uh, and you just got to have that all the time, you could change. If you're bound by alcohol addiction, a lot of people think I can socially drink a little bit and they found out they have a, one of those personalities that just kind of hook on to something and can't let go. You can get free from the bondage of alcohol and you just say, well, you know, pastor, nobody knows it, but I'm addicted to pornography. You can get free in Jesus' name. How many hear me? Or, or let's come and bring it home a little bit closer. You may be a believer. And you know, life's just not real great for you in a lot of ways. Let me tell you what happened to me. This is another area of repentance for me. 20 years ago, Susan and I, you know, our kids, I think I mean, John was like 14. He's uh, 35 this year, so that kind of, you know, 20 years ago. So he's like 35. He was 14. Sarah was 12. Jessica's 10. 
And then my youngest one was six. So Susan and I were at a restaurant. I like seafood. I never forget. Y'all, I can still see it in my mind. We're sitting in a seafood restaurant. I'm eating my favorite seafood. And I love New England clam chowder. So I'm chowing down on that. And we're just talking. And we got into a pretty deep conversation. You know what I mean? And it's like, we're talking now. And man, I may have said this before. This is repentance. Man, she looked at me and said, Mitch, I mean, we were in it. Thick. All right, we're busy, kids are young. Man, we, we don't have any spare time. You know what I'm talking about, right? And it's like, it's like, she looked at me and she said, Mitch. And when she said my name, I knew, uh-oh. This is like daddy talking to me. It's like mama talking. There's something going on right here. So this is gonna bring a change to my life. And she said, Mitch. I said, uh-huh. And just the look on her face, y'all, she's the sweetest woman you'll ever meet. But she looked at me and said, and she hesitated. Open her mouth. I don't need you to change me. Oh, jeez. I didn't even know what. Usually I got four comebacks. I got number one, number two. <laughs> she disarmed me, y'all. You hear me? I said, I don't need to change you. You're right. Don't try to fix me. And then she said, and hesitate. All I need you to do. Trembling, her lips trim. All I need you to do is listen to me. You listen to everybody else. When you gonna listen to me? Y'all, dagger. Oh, it grabbed me. It grabbed my heart, y'all. I felt like I was about 10 inches tall. It's like, Jesus, I tucked my tail between my legs and walked out that restaurant. Oh, God. And you know what? Change. And now... I don't do, I'm not perfect sometimes to go back to the old me like you do. But generally speaking, she's got something to say. I say, come on. And I learned this from Joe Biggie. She's not here for, she'll be here second service. I won't say it second service. I'm kidding. <laughs> Joe McGee taught me to just bobble my head. Like a bobblehead dog. Uh-huh, uh-huh, and say uh-huh. Now, I don't do it just that way, but I listen. How many here, that, how many know that was Repentance. You get that three years ago, you know, uh, God gave me a word, uh, uh, trendsetter, and he said, I want you to do church staff. We had reached a ceiling in our church, and we needed to keep growing, and we weren't in a lot of ways, uh, not, just, not just numerically, but in a lot of ways, and our staff team needed to grow and get better and do better, but we hit a ceiling, and, I, and God gave me the word trendsetter, so I hired a John Maxwell guy, and uh, man, he stuck his finger, I've told you, into my face. Oh, my Lord. And he told me things that, that I didn't want to hear. And he said, if anything's going to make a difference, it's going to start with you. I said, slap my jaw. I thought, slap my jaws. He just slapped my jaws. And you know what happened? It changed me. Tr repentance can change you. So you may be here sitting, well, I've been, I've been living this way X period of time. You can change if you want to. How many hear me? Because repentance is available to everybody. How many hear me? It's available to every person in the U.S. of A. All 300 and what? 30-something million of us now. Repentance is a door. If you walk through that door, life can be dramatically different. It's, it is the catalyst for change. How many hear me? 
I mentioned this last week, Romans 2, 4. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leads you repentance? It's the goodness of God that leads us to see that we got areas that we need to change in. And then it's the goodness of God that comes in and says, let me forgive you, let me help you, let me give you an ability to be different. Is that great or not? Absolutely wonderful. So, uh, said this last week, if you have any yearning inside in any area of life to make a change, to be different, to do something differently, and I've said this for years and years and years now, if you have any desire for God, any desire to do better in life, any desire to read your Bible, any desire to pray, it didn't start with you, it starts with Him. He draws you. It's the drawing power of God. Jesus said, no man comes except the Father draw him. And that's initially when you come to salvation. But how many know once you come to Jesus, he keeps drawing you. He keeps drawing you out of your self-centered and me out of my self-centered living. And he keeps drawing us to him so that we change little bit from glory to glory to glory to glory. Little bit by little bit. We just eke along a change. And then one day, the psalmist said, when I wake up, I will be like him. Maybe that's after the rapture of the church or you go home to be with Jesus and you're in heaven and you're yet to be, not even in your glorified body yet, but when you get there on the other side of death, there you are. You'll know even as you're known. And that change will be complete. Isn't that awesome? So repentance can bring tremendous change to your life. I talked about it last week. I gave you a few points about it. Uh, Michael Brown says repentance is God's activating grace. I mentioned that last week. John Milton, hundreds of years ago, repentance is the golden key that opens the palace of eternity. It opens up a brand new life and lifestyle to you. Today, I just want to put some teeth on this and show you how practical repentance really can be and, and just what are some of the ingredients for repentance. Some people think when you talk about repentance, you're talking about something negative. No, the converse is true. Repentance is actually something positive. And I'm talking about this in detail because you don't hear a lot of preaching on repentance. But if pe- repentance really is the door that opens a new, a new uh, arena of life, a new way of living. How many know we need to know something about it, what it looks like, and how to see if we're walking through that door? How many understand me? So I've got four simple, simple points today. Uh, four things that you need to know. Four keys to repentance, as it were. And I, I want to get to those. Uh, I mentioned again last week that the Apostle Paul, both in the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, he talks about taking off the old man, putting on the new man. And uh, he mentions that in Ephesians 4, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. That is the person and the habits and lifestyles you had before you saved. He said, take them off like you take your coat off and put a new coat on. Uh, Live differently. Live so other people can see that something's different about your life. Put off the former conduct put on the new conduct and sandwiched in between that in verse 23 of Ephesians 4. He said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and then put on the new man. As we change how we think, how many know we change how we live? I mean, Jesus comes and invades our spiritual nature when we're born again. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But but how many know the relay to get what he placed inside of you to the world where others can see it is your mind? Your, I, my, my mind is the go-between between my spirit man and my, and my physical person. And what I do with my mind determines how much I develop spiritually and how much spiritual things really, really, really change who I am and how I live. How many hear me? So Paul talked about that dynamic. We call it the put-off, put-on process. 
putting off the old person, old habits, old ways, putting on the new person. He mentioned it again in Colossians chapter uh, 3, verses 8 through 10. I'll let you read it's in my notes. And again, my notes are on U version. If you go to U version, go to the bottom, click more, then the next screen, click events. You'll see a map of Raleigh. Click on Victory Church, and there are my notes. And, you can, and I won't get to a lot of these scripture today, I promise. But uh, you can look at them and go along with me. So four things about repentance you need to know, and this will help us know whether or not we're going through that door or not. Does that make sense? Number one, number one, repentance means that I forsake what I am doing. How many hear that? Yeah, when we repent, we realize that uh, where we are and what we're doing is wrong. We know it's wrong. And we're ready to make a huge change. I mean, when I came to Jesus, I knew I was living wrong. I knew I had the wrong values. Something inside me told me that. I guess uh, people, I knew my mother was praying for me. I found out later. Other people, I'm sure, were. And if you feel something inside, like I know I'm not, I know I'm off kilter somewhere here and I need to change. That, that means that's a huge sign that God is doing something in you. But once you see that, you know you're ready to make a change. And then uh, it means you forsake what you're doing. So repentance means I'm ready to leave the behavior I know that will hurt God, hurt others, and even hurt myself. When you're ready to repent, I realize I'm no longer, I can no longer do this and be right with God. And that's how strong it is. And, you know, for instance, when Susan had that wonderful conversation, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that conversation. When she did that, I knew, I just knew, I can never be what I've been. I've got to be a different husband. I've got to, I've got to shut up. (laughs) I'm verbose. Usually it's backwards. The woman's doing the talking. No, it's me. I love to talk. And I had to learn, shut your mouth, son. Listen to your wife. Repentance opened the door for that. But I knew that I knew I had to forsake living the way I did. How many hear me? And then, and then when the John Maxwell guy, Randy McCoy, just pointed his finger in my face and said, you need to change. Well, I thought about that finger every day. I said, I don't like that finger. I don't like what he said. <laughs> I don't like what he said I was doing that I need to stop. But every day, you know what? Every day I was challenged with, I have to do different. How many hear me? And I don't know what it is with you, but there's something in all of us. We need to separate from it. And you know, when you repent, here's the issue. You separate your heart from what you've been doing. Now listen to this. How many know we have ingrained habits? You have mental habits, emotional habits, physical habits. You can have also spiritual habits, perhaps. But, you know, a habit's something you do without thinking, right? So often you say things and you have, here's a big deal. Often, how many know we have habits of response? And we just naturally act a certain way. And, and, and you don't even have to try. It's like automatic. Um, Chip Judd, my friend Chip Judd's got an acronym, ANT. It kind of applies. ANT stands for Automatic Negative Thoughts. You could say A-N-W, automatic negative words. You know what I'm talking about? So you got habits in all kinds of areas. That's just one of them. Maybe God's dealing with you about uh, manipulating others in your close relationships and making them feel guilty if they don't do what you want them to do. And you just got a way of saying it that just kind of, just kind of gets the knife and sticks it in. Like, you dumb if you don't do what I say. How many of that's called manipulation? Well, God may be dealing with you to change something like that. Or he may be dealing with you about gossip and entering into gossip on the job, in the break room, or on social, on social media, whatever, and uh, uh, negative things that you're saying about others in their absence. 
or in private conversations, whatever, and he's dealing with you about overcoming that. Well, uh, uh, that, that means that, you know what, I'm done with that, I'm going to make a change. Or he may be dealing with you as he did with me, you, me about using anger as a way to control the situation and environment that you're in and getting your way. Or it could be that you need to change uh, your way of dealing with stress as maybe overeating or some people overexercise or some people overdo a hobby or a habit. Some people get involved in all kinds of things. They're trying to escape stress. You know, the best way to escape stress, get in the presence of God. Get in the presence of the, of the one who can set you free. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. How many hear me? Or, or it may be you're addicted to lust or pornography or, or things like that that are just have seeped into our culture so horribly and they're literally, literally ripping the foundation out from under the social fabric of our nation. You know what? Repentance can make a huge difference. Again, repentance, think of you're separating your heart from what you've been doing. And even though you may go through the process because it's a habit, inside of you it's like, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to respond that way anymore. I don't want to talk that way anymore. I don't want to act that way. And when you do it, it makes you feel like, no, I can't keep doing that. How many hear what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there in your life? You know, it's an amazing thing when, when God begins to do that. For me, one of the big ones for me when I first came with the Lord, I don't know any better way to describe it other than I had a potty mouth. I mean, I used expletives galore before I came to the Lord. They were habits. In fact, two weeks, I think I'd been in Jesus two weeks. I worked at a grocery store, I was going to college. And two weeks into that, I dropped a big, you know, the big can, a big can of green beans. I mean, they're huge. I think they call them a number two can, big old can, not a little one, big. I dropped that thing on my left big toe, and when I did, blah, 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 I mean, I used all kinds of words, and they weren't nice, and I can't repeat them today because I would sin. But the first thing that happened when it did, oh, my heart grabbed me like, whoa, what did I just say? I used to say that. I don't want to do that anymore. The second thing I did was do this. I looked around like, who heard that? Oh, man. Because I told all the guys I worked with, well, I know the Lord. Jesus come into my life. He changed me, but habits were there. How many hear me? So I had a potty mouth. And, and, and then also gossip was a part of me because I'd sit around the, you know, I'd, I'd stand in the little social circle and blah, 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 blah. hear what so-and-so said, blah, blah, blah. hear what so-and-so said, blah, 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 blah. And we'd just talk about people that weren't there and tear down their character. And, and somebody challenged me again. It was a, a big moment of repentance. One of my friends said, you know, it's sin. I mean, he just didn't. <laughs> He didn't bat around the bush. Did you know it's sin to talk about people in a negative way that aren't with you? I said, well, no, I didn't. He said, well, it is, and you're doing it. You need to stop. It's like, oh, my God. Daddy is here. Daddy's here. And you know what? It so convicted me that you know what I did? I went to the Word, and God changed me. Repentance means you stop doing. And it's a heart thing. In your heart, you don't want to do it anymore. How many get what I'm saying? There's a three-step process to overcoming a natural habit that you've acquired through living, whether it's mental, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical or whatever, even spiritual, there's a three-step process. The first one is you catch yourself after you've done it. When I said that expletive, it's like, oh, whoa, 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 what is this? How's that doing hanging around me, you know? Or, or you know what, I entered into some gossip. Oh, and my heart grieved. It's like, I can't, I can't do that anymore. How many know when you know Jesus, God writes his law in your heart? And you know right, you know inside intuitively, I, I don't need to be involved in that. How many get it? 
Well, you know, so first part is recognize it after the fact. Second part is after God shows it to you and in your heart you've separated from it. Then every time you do it, you challenge it. Now, I don't think I used expletives a whole lot after that experience with the can. That one grabbed me. That one got me. That one got me. But you know what? Every time I, I, I thought about it or every time when I was by myself, something slipped out. I said, Lord, I'm not going to say that anymore. I'm not going there anymore. Or whatever other habit in my own life. And then, and then I went to the Word, and I'll talk about it later. I went to the Word and found Scripture that, that could reinforce the behavior that I wanted to, I wanted to get over. So catch it before, uh, after you do it, then catch it while you're doing it. That's how you overcome these negative things. And then, and then you'll get to the point the Holy Spirit works in you through the word, you'll get to the point that just before you say, uh, uh, I start answering Susan before I need to. It's like, whoop, whoop. Just keep talking, darling. And you'll catch it before you do it. Isn't that awesome? Three-step process. You catch it after, in the middle, and then before. That's how it works. So you can overcome negative habits. Repentance means I forsake, first of all, what I'm doing in my heart. Number two, repentance means that I embrace a new way of living. If a person says I've repented and they keep doing what they've been doing, if I said to Susan, well, okay, I hear you. I'm not going to act that way. I'm, I'm going to let you talk and I'm not going to try to be your fix-it man. Well, if I had said that, but every time she opened her mouth and said, well, why don't you try this? You know, it's proof positive. I didn't listen to what she said, and I hadn't repented. How many get it? Or, or when the guy put, poked his bony finger in my face and said, you demand, you need to change. You know, if I'd come back to my staff team and said, y'all do it my way, shut up. I didn't do that anyway. But, you know, if I hadn't made the changes, how many know? They, they know full well I hadn't, I hadn't repented. Repentance means change. A great illustration of that. I think it's one of the best ones in the whole Bible and, and perhaps uh, right up to par with David uh, and Bathsheba. Maybe we'll go over that story another time. Here's one in Luke chapter 15. Here's the, uh, here's the wayward son and his father. Just listen to the verbiage here. There's repentance all in this and you'll see it as I read. To illustrate the point further, Luke 11, uh, 15, 11, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About this time, his money ran out a great, uh, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now, this is how low he got, verse 16. The young man became so hungry that even the pods, the beans, he was feeding the pigs, looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. He was completely destitute, had, had spent all of the money. Uh, evidently, his daddy had given him a lot of money, and hip, hip, hooray, he spent it rapidly. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses... He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. Verse 18, now this is repentance. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. 
Please take me on as a hired servant. Here's a guy that was fed up with living with mommy and daddy. He was, he was young and uh, he knew an inheritance was coming his way. And he said, I'm going to grab that money and I'm going to go have a big time. I'm going to party down. Man, we're going to have fun with that. And it wasn't until the circumstances drove him that he saw that, you know what, this is stupid. I mean, I mean, even my, even my father's hired servants are living better than me. I'm eating pig food out here in the field. I'm, I'm a stupid guy. What's wrong with me? Now, see, see, how many know you got to get miserable sometimes before you get better? How many know that? It shouldn't be that way, but we got this thing called stubbornness. Is that true? And some of us are stubborn enough like, I ain't changing. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do what I've been doing because I'm having fun. Well, when you get miserable, you know what? The tide may change. The tide may turn. How many hear me? And that's what happened to this young man. He was so self-absorbed that he started, it, it, had to, it had to affect his money. And then it had to affect his stomach. And he had to get really hungry. And every time he felt the hunger pains, like I have nothing to eat but pig food. Dirty, nasty, grainy, grimy pig food. And he's looking at the hired servants his dad, his dad had. And he said, you know what? They got plates of food that the, that the people are preparing for them. I'm eating with the stinking pigs. And it produced repentance. And here's the idea of repentance. I can't do this anymore. I, I just, I can't, li- I can't live this way. I can't do this anymore. See, he embraced a new way of living. And his new way of living was, you know what? Again, I'm going to tuck my tail between my legs, go back to my daddy and say, you know what? I'm wrong. And daddy, I should have never taken your money. I'm the dumbest person on planet earth. Would you please take me back? Would you please just hire me as one of your servants? Because your servants eat better than I'm eating. I'm eating, in the, I'm eating with the pigs in the pigsty. Would you please help me, daddy? Would you, would you please help me? And I love, look at this. I love his father's response. Please take me as a hired servant. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father while he was still a long way off. His father saw him coming. You know what? You may be a long way from God in a lot of ways in your life, but he sees you afar. He sees you a long way off, and he sees you coming. His father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And he thought his daddy would have some really mean words, but listen to this. But his father said to the servants, Quick! He didn't even answer his son. His son said, Daddy, man, I'm in a hard place. And his daddy said, hey, hey, guys. And look what he said. Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf. We've been fattening. We got to celebrate with a feast today. For my son was found, who, my son was dead. To him, he was dead. His son probably said, you'll never see me alive again. I'll never put my feet on your property again. I'm done with you. And his dad, so his dad said, the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Isn't that awesome? Could it be that every time we turn around, could it be that every time, you know, we, we get to the bottom of ourselves like, you know what? 
tired of living this way. I'm tired of being selfish. I'm tired of everything revolving around me and everybody doing what I want. I'm, I just can't do this anymore. I don't have any close relationships. Nobody likes me. I'm full of anger and venom. And oh my goodness, I've got to make a change. When you do that, God smiles said, I've been waiting. How many realize whatever you're dealing with, God's been waiting? And you know what? When you say, Father, when you make that statement, I'm done. I'm done with doing this. I've done with living this way. Whether it's first coming to Jesus because your whole life has been wrong or you've been with Jesus but, but you're hurting people in your family, you're hurting your spouse, you're hurting your children, you're, 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 you're messing up on the job and you're making life difficult for the people you work with. When you make a change and say, I'm done. God says, I've been waiting on those words. Man, let's get the coat. Let's get the ring. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's do, uh, you know what? I, I'm going to show you how much I love you. And he'll come, first of all, with his presence to woo and to minister and to mend and to heal. Is that awesome? God is just like the prodigal son's father. So, you know, all of us, and that includes me, you, all of us, whether you know the Lord, don't know the Lord, you need the Lord, you know what? God's attitude towards you is just like the attitude of that prodigal son's father. He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you to turn. He's waiting on you to get to the point that from your heart you say, I'm, I'm done with this. I don't want this anymore. How many hear what I'm saying? Number three, which brings me to my third point. Repentance means I purposely yield my will to God. Here's what people don't realize about the will. There's one part of the human person God will never touch and force, and that is the human will. He holds your will as a precious thing that he gave you as a human being. And he will allow us to do what we want to do even though it hurts us. How many hear that? Somebody said perhaps um, the biggest product of Adam and Eve, the first man and woman sinning, was that they turned from being givers, self-giving, to being selfish and self-centered. Instead of being selfless, they lived to serve creation, lived to serve the earth, to to plow the fields, to make it a great place to live. Instead, they, they turn their eyes on themselves. Self-pleasure, self-will. Somebody said perhaps that's the greatest product of the fall of man. That may be the reason that Jesus addressed the will. In the book of Matthew, two times. The book of Mark, at least one time. Maybe two. The uh, book of Luke, two times. The book of John. He says, if any man wants to come to me, he's got to deny himself. Why did Jesus say that? Because one of the biggest products of the fall is the selfishness that we have. We're all set on ourselves. I, uh, I love all of them. I got five grandchildren. And I had three of them in a room yesterday. And uh, it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool to watch my grandkids. And they're just little tots, you know. Uh, Myela's like, not, uh, what is that, six, 12, six, 19 months old. Uh, Gabriella's a little over a year old. Uh, Loic's uh, not quite four, it's a little uh, three and a half or so. And, and they're pay, playing together, and you know, you just see human behavior, you see human nature. And, and here's a toy that belongs to Gabriella. And she, y'all, she's, she's a little over a year old, but somebody picks up that toy, so that's my toy. And, she, and just the look on her face, like, that don't belong to you. That belongs to me. You see it really early in life. Is it true? The self-centered nature. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep 
have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's the key right there. We have turned everyone to his own way. My biggest problem, you know what? My biggest problem isn't someone else. My biggest problem is me. In your marriage, the biggest problem isn't your spouse. The biggest problem is you and how you respond to what they're doing. They may not be doing it right. You may not like how they're acting. But the bigger problem is how you're responding. Yes or no? Woohoo! Gets quiet. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's my biggest problem. I've got to learn to let me go. Here's the thing you've got to know about the wheel. Satan forces and coerces, but God woos and convict. convicts. The enemy, when he's messing with you, I mean, you've got to take that drug. You've got to do this. You've got to act that way. You've got to go there. No, no, with, with the Holy Spirit... He gently woos, gently convicts, but never forces. How many hear me? I've often said this. If, if you had uh, Satan, uh, invisible manifestation at a door, and the door's open maybe six, eight inches to the room you're in, and you're sitting in your favorite chair, if Satan was at the door and he saw it open, he would just, you know, push it open so hard it would damage the wall behind it and come in. But if the Holy Spirit was at the door, if God the Father or Jesus the Son were at the door, and it's six to eight inches open, and he could, he would stand there. You may, see, you may see his shadow, but he would never enter. It wouldn't even touch the door until you got out up, up out of your easy chair and grabbed the knob on the other side and opened it yourself and said, would you like to come in? And then he may respond, if I may. That is, if you let me. See, that's how, that's how precious the will is to God. How many hear me? Again, even if it hurts you, God will not violate your will. He will let you do what you want to do. And that's what people don't understand about the Lord. Well, God ain't saying nothing, anything to me about what I'm doing. It must be all right. No, no, he's letting you do what you want to do. Because he gave you that will. And he'll let you do what you want to with that will. How many hear me? Now, this is a shocker. Notice God's respect for the will. He respects your will so much that... He'll let you go to the lake of fire because you will. You refuse to change the will. Revelation twenty two eleven and 12, let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Whoa. What's he saying? I'll let you be what you want to be, even though it hurts you. And, and so, 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 you know what? The Holy Spirit just tagged me. You may be here or you may be watching online and you've been hurt by someone. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been molested in some way. Maybe, maybe you've been emotionally or physically abused in your younger years, and you have a question in your mind. Why didn't God make that person stop? He can't. He can't. Why? He won't violate the will of man. What can he do? He can have people pray. And if people will pray, sometimes you can assuage those situations and change them. But how many know sometimes God wants people to pray, and then they, they're, not, they're not cognizant enough to his voice to hear. And then he can't even do what he wants to do. 
Do you think God wants these? Did you think God wanted those hundreds of girls violated by that man in New York we're hearing about? Do you think that was the will of God? No. Why did God let him do it? Because God holds the will as a precious thing and won't touch it. It takes somebody praying, somebody asking, somebody interceding. It takes someone asking for God to be able to come in. And then, and then sometimes, sometimes for whatever reason, uh, God's best purposes are hindered. How many hear that? You don't know the conversations I've had with people behind closed doors and the things that have happened. I've had to keep Kleenexes by my desk as I've had people over the years for all these 38 years of ministry. People have said things to me that I've never told anybody. And I've heard tales that I, could, I would never repeat. And you wouldn't believe some of them if I told you of how, how mean people can be. And as I'm listening to people pour out their heart and tell me of the hurts and the sorrow and the pain, I'm thinking... God, this just ain't right. I'm thinking inside me, this is horrible for a human being to be treated that way. And, and I have to grab Kleenexes and brush the tears from my own eyes as they're talking to me. And we both weep and cry. And I'm thinking, God, the human heart is so wicked without you. Say, so God, it's horrible that this person was, was, was able to do that to this individual. It's, it's horrible that for whatever reason, you weren't able to reach down. Sometimes God can intervene. Sometimes if you have enough people praying and, 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 and for that individual, sometimes God can come down and, and make things happen and expose things. Other times, they're not exposed until years later. Why? See, it gets quiet because God holds the will as a precious thing to every human and will not violate it good or bad. Did you hear that? If he did, then he could, he could get all of us to come to Jesus and Jesus would come back tomorrow. Huh? I could go a lot further with that, but I won't. I'll just leave it right there. How many hear what I'm saying? Jesus had to wrestle with his own will. Matthew 26, 36, when Jesus went with them to the olive grove Gethsemane, which means the place of crushing, he said. Sit here while I go over there and pray. He went uh, and he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went out a little farther, bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet... I want your will to be done, not mine. Wow. See, even Jesus, the Son of God, in his human form, in a God in a human body, he had to wrestle with his will. He knew that, that taking upon himself our sin would cost him a lot of physical pain. That was a, that was a horrible, horrible thing he went through. The crucifixion and the whippings and the beatings Man, those are cruel, cruel ways to treat another human being. Nobody should be treated that way. And Jesus, his own visage, his own person, his body, his, his mind, his emotions, he said, I, I don't want to go through this. Lord if, Lord, if there's any other way, don't let this happen. Nevertheless, not what I will. Hear what he said? He said, God, even if it cost me a lot of pain and suffering, I believe you're able to help me go through it for the human race he probably also i'm not sure he probably saw ahead and saw that god would separate himself from him he was willing to go through it how, how many hear me so even jesus in his earthly form he had to go through that place of crushing gethsemane where he gave his will to god and all of us have to go through that place 
where we let our stubbornness yield to the purposes of God in life. How many hear what I'm saying? Mark 8, 34, I like this. This is Philip's translation. Jesus called his disciples and the people around him and said to them, if anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, he must give up all right to himself. That one's gotten me for a lot of years. Just that translation. He must give up all right to himself, take up his cross, and follows me. The man who tries to save his life will lose it. The man who loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. What does he say? Well, if you hold on to your will and you keep it and you do what you want to do by yourself, you know what? You're going to mess up. You're going to lose and lose bad. But I'll let you do it if that's what you want to do. But if you'll give what you want to do away, and if you want the highest and best that you can have in, in this life, if you'll give your will to me and let me rule you and let me, let me minister to you and let me guide you, you'll be blessed. How many hear me? Then the Apostle Paul addresses the will of the believer, Romans 6, 12. Don't let, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Even the Apostle Paul said, you know, if you want to overcome as a believer... If you want to change as a believer, you've got to, the first thing to do is humble yourself and yield your will to God. If you, like me, have a, have a potty, had a potty mouth like I did, you say, God, I'm willing to make a change. I've got to be different. Or like me, you know, you, 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 you got too many words for someone to feel safe to converse with you, like Susan did many years ago. And you say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm giving this thing to you. You know, when I give up my rights, my way, I can obtain God's best, and it opens the door for repentance. How many hear me? Then lastly, repentance means that I keep a humble and teachable attitude towards God and his word, knowing that I'll be changing for the rest of my life. Now, here's the way I think about repentance. Repentance is a lifestyle. So in my mind, I think about living a lifestyle of repentance. Let me tell you, that's not negative, that's, that's positive. Uh, you know, we, we have to put shoe leather on the ground and we have to live life uh, with, with a lot of imperfect people around us, including us, yes or no? And we're liable to, you know, run into stuff that tempts us. And sometimes we don't act and react the ways that we should. Yes or no? So a lifestyle of repentance says this. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 20, you know, all day, all week, all year, every day. Father, my purpose in my heart is to always obey what you want me to do. And if I get off the path, even in the slightest way, you have my permission to deal with me. And when you do, my will's on the ground. I'm ready to hear. How many hear me? It means, it means that I've given up my rights to live the way I want to live. Living as a believer, and this is where we're missing it in the Western world with Western Christianity. We think that coming to Jesus is a, is a bless my lifestyle time. No, coming to Jesus, I give up my rights to me and I'm willing to do anything he wants me to do, go anywhere he wants me to go and say anything he wants me to say. Life is no longer about me, it's about him. Yes or no? 
And, and that's, the, that's the living a lifestyle of repentance. And it's, it's God and his word that keeps us free. And it's, and it's me moment by moment yielding myself to the power of God's word in me. You'd be amazed at the power of the Holy Spirit available when we take that attitude. Father, not my will, your will be done. Or we say like the apostle Paul, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Jesus lives in me. And the way you flesh that out is go to the word go to the word it's the word that sets us free from us how many hear me james 1 21 so get rid of all uncleanness and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness and in a humble this is amplified gentle modest spirit receive and welcome the word implanted and rooted in your hearts that has the power contains the power to save your soul john 17 17 Jesus said, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Psalm 37, 31. The psalmist said, the law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Verse 11, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then Colossians 3.16 just kind of bears the point home. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, (coughs) excuse me, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. So true repentance starts, first of all, with our will. We open the door and we say no to a certain behavior. But to keep it and make it a lifestyle, go to the word. So, so for me, when God first uh, started dealing with me about changing my words and, and, and my potty mouth, I went through the whole book of Proverbs. It was, a, it was a Sunday evening after I'd gotten home from church. I got in the living room, and the next Monday, I think I had a day off, and uh, I don't even think I was in college that day. I got my Bible, got the book of Proverbs out, got a yellow highlighter, and I read all 31 chapters of Proverbs in one sitting, and every time it said speech, words, lips, mouth, I highlighted in yellow everything the book of Proverbs says about words and anything associated with that, any synonym with words. And I highlighted all 31 chapters, and I highlighted it in yellow. And you know what I did? Several times a week, I took Proverbs out. I read all through, I just flipped the pages, and every time I found the yellow highlight, I'm reading that. We didn't have the internet, y'all. It was all hard copy stuff. I'm reading page after page and I'd read it to myself out loud. And you know what? I did it so much that it kicked the the habit of saying wrong things and putting me in the center of the conversation. It changed me from negative to positive with my words. And then I could tell you later on, I mean, so many other areas, uh, God began to deal with me. And again, it's the idea of when you put the word inside of you, it kicks the wrong behavior out. The beginning part of that is repentance.